Well, thank you. <laughs> Amen. I am so excited to be here today. And when I say excited, I mean terrified. But I believe in words that build, so I'm just going to go with excited. Amen. When Pastor Lewis first um, started this series, he said that along the first seven weeks of this ordinary series that we would have different presenters and at that time he said but i'm not going to tell you who it is because i don't want you to not to show up and slightly offended that people might not show up if they knew i was talking i came to my senses and realized you know what pastor burgos well played because that would not be good for any of us if we let them know what was about to happen and over the past few weeks, and when I tell you that this series has been in the process for months, when Pastor Lewis told me that I would pre be presenting while he was away, I was very pregnant. It was months ago. And even with so much time, I swear, as the weeks leading up to this day happened, it was like a highlight reel of Pastor Lewis's best preachings ever just like played in my mind and I kept thinking about like how and what an awesome preacher he is and how he's so great and how I'm not and I'm like oh this is gonna be terrible so it just continued playing and playing in my mind and it sounds crazy right absolutely crazy but how many of you know that that is the exact plan of the enemy to make you think that you can't do what you've been called to do and make you think that if you want to be successful that I should have came up here looking like Pastor Burgos dressed like him moving like him talking like him truth be told I've worked so closely with him for so many years that I could probably write an entire sermon and you would think that it was him because I understand his dialect that well and as I prepared for this, I kept feeling like the enemy was just playing with my mind, like nobody's going to listen, nobody's going to care, this is going to suck, you're going to suck, you're going to fall off the altar, like crazy stuff, and when I say crazy, I mean really crazy, but I know and I've realized as I continued on that that is the enemy trying to mind manipulate us into thinking that we have to be somebody else in order to be successful. I want to close our eyes right now so we can just open in prayer. Amen. Father, I pray right now, Lord, as, as we start this service, God, that I would decrease, Father, and that you would increase in me, God. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, Father. I pray that the words that I speak would be anointed, Father. I pray that the words that I speak, Father God, would not be of my own, Father, but that would be of you, Father God. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me this morning. I pray for every person in this place, God, and I pray, Father, that every heart, every mind would be open to you, Lord, that we would surrender ourselves, God, just as the worship team was singing, Father, that we would surrender everything we have, Father God, to hear a word from you on this morning. Father, we pray right now that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know that on a daily basis you have just a war waging within you? Every day it's like a war of good and evil and on, on one side you have God telling you that you are anointed and you are his child and you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are made in the image of God and then a much more louder voice more dominant voice screams that you're not good enough that you'll never make it that you can try but you'll always fail our identity in Christ is challenged daily Every day, there is a war raging within us against what God created us to be and what the world is trying to mold us into. It makes me wonder, what does the devil know about our identity as Christians that gets him all riled up and makes him bring in mass confusion and mass chaos into our minds because the battle does start in our minds. What is it about the identity of a Christian that makes us a target? I believe that if we really knew the power that we beheld, if we really knew the peace that we could holster, if we really knew who we were in Christ, it would be game over. It would be game over in this city, in our families, in our homes, in our jobs. It would be game over. 
Over and over again, we see the enemy planning and executing attacks on the very identity of the believer. We see right at the beginning with Adam and Eve back in Genesis 2, when Eve tells the serpent that God said they could eat from any tree except for one, right? And then the serpent goes on to say, what do you mean? Surely you won't die. God knows that if you eat from that tree that you'll be like him. The enemy coming in trying to tell you what you'll be like. We see it again in Exodus chapter 3, the 11th verse, when Moses says to God, who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Again, thoughts of confusion coming in, questioning his identity. Even Jesus himself had the enemy question his identity. We see in Matthew chapter 4, the tempter came to him and said, if you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Again, his identity challenged. Over and over, the enemy devises the same plan, the same tactic to bring in confusion so that he can take you away. If, listen, if the enemy can confuse you out of understanding who you are, he will take you away from what you should be doing. And we live in a society that, honestly, I wanted to give you guys some examples of how our society is constantly pulling at us, telling us to look like this, be like that. So I thought it would be cool to have like a slideshow or something of some of the commercials, some of the ads that are out there. And honestly, it's crazy what they put on TV. I'm like, that is not alter appropriate. So scratch the visual, but I'm sure you guys can just stop and think for a moment. The stuff you see on TV, the things you see in movies, the things you hear on the radio, the things they say in songs constantly, constantly an attack on the identity of Christians and of people of everywhere. We have a society so confused. We have women walking around wanting to act like men. We have men wanting to act like women. We have children acting like adults. We have adults acting like children. We have teenagers who want to be like the rappers they see on TV. We've got mass confusion everywhere. We have married folks living separate lives. We have people living in sin that you can't separate. We have craziness going on, and it is, again, back to the attack of our identity. Thoughts of worthlessness, anxiety, depression, confusion, all those things constantly plugging your mind. Everything from hair, hair dye to nose jobs to self-help is out there to make you become something that you weren't created to be. Think about it. You could leave here right now, and if, you're finan if you had the financial means, you could be a different person tomorrow. There's no limit. There's literally no limit to what you can do nowadays. There are people chasing a dream wasn't intended for them to live, trying to reach a goal that was never whispered in their hearts from God, just kind of going with the flow, trying to obtain everything that the next person has. Constant confusion everywhere. So again, it makes me wonder, what does the enemy know that we don't know? What are we missing? Could it be that Satan knows better than us that a Christian completely submitted to God, comfortable in their strength, empowered even by their weaknesses because they know that God's strength is made perfect in their weakness. Could they know that a Christian that was sold out for Christ could be a force like this world has never seen? Could it be that the devil is so afraid that his territory for once and for all would be taken back by the Christians of this generation that he is like, no, 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 Pastor Carmen, you're not going to know who you are. You're not going to know what you've been called to do. No, no. And he's just screaming in your ear, screaming in your ear, telling you everything that you can't be. Could it be he just knows that when you get it, when you receive that re revelation in your heart, it's done. It's done. The struggles we have in our families, in our homes, in our marriages, it's over. Could it be that once Christians realize that an attack on their identity is an attack on God himself because you were made in the very image of God, that you were created in his likeness, that you were formed 
by his very hands, that he took a piece of him out when he made you. And it is, it's just this precious, precious thing that he has created and molded. Could it be that the enemy knows that if he confuses you enough, that you one day will not return back to that place where you came from? I mean, that's the plan of the enemy, right? To come, to steal, to kill, to destroy. I want to talk to you today about a person in the Bible who didn't struggle with whom he was. He didn't struggle with what he was doing. He wasn't questioning where he was at that point in his life. He wasn't trying to be something or someone that he wasn't. I want to talk to you about a person, an ordinary person, that when God called him, he took him from where he was with what he had despite what anyone said, and used him for big things. I want to talk to you today about the story of David and Goliath. And many of you are familiar with this story. It's a very well-known story in the Bible, and I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles in the first book of Samuel, chapter 17. And for the most part, I'll, I'll paraphrase this story for the sake of time, but I will be pulling from specific scriptures throughout the course of the sermon. Amen. Now, David was a young shepherd boy, and he goes literally from the work field to the battlefield overnight. Say it with me, where he was. We're going to take a closer look at David's life today. And now, again, David, he was just a boy. He was inexperienced. He was minding his own business. He was helping his dad tend to the sheep. David had some brothers, and... A few of them were off at war, and, and David kind of went back and forth. He went back and forth from where the battle was to where he was, and he just kept going back and forth because his dad needed his help. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 through 18, it says, One day Jesse said to David, and Jesse is his father, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give the, these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. Now, what you need to know, like I said, David's, three of David's older brothers were out at battle and David was home. And now I, I don't know this for sure because the Bible doesn't say this, but I've worked with enough volunteers to know that when you're doing a big, when you have a big project going on and you need all the hands you can get. And then you realize, oh, we don't have any ice, or oh, we don't have any pens or batteries or whatever. Usually you pull the person who is making the least impact at that time at what they're doing to go make run the errand. Because you know that if you pull the person who's setting up the entire event to go get batteries, while that person's gone, the event can't continue. You following me here? So again, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm thinking that David's dad looked at him like he's expendable, basically. He can stay here. They don't need him there. He can kind of be my gopher. He can go back and forth. But how many of you know that God's standards are not our standards? And although his father might have said, oh, David's he's young. He's like a teenager. He's not going to do, he's not going to serve any good. But God said, He's going to serve a lot of good. He's going to do great things. What David was doing when God pulled him from where he was was nothing, nothing crazy. He wasn't doing anything exciting. He was home, just working the field, doing what he did, going through his daily life. And in that moment, that's when he was called for greatness. What I want to tell you today is that you might think that the place that you're at right now is insignificant, and you might think that the position you hold, whether it's at work or in ministry or in your household or whatever, you might think that it's insignificant and you might think that you're wasting your time, but there is nothing insignificant to God. And I'll tell you, when it's your time, wherever you are, in the work field, in the office, at home, wherever you are, God will find you. He will find you and he will pull you out of that place and he will use you for greatness. But the key is to be where you're supposed to be. 
So many times as Christians, we just want to figure it out. We want to be in the right place. We want to do the right thing. We feel like we need to position ourselves to receive what God has to give. And the reality is there is nothing you can do to ever prepare yourself for what God wants to do with you. There is nothing, no book you can read, nothing you can do. The only chance you have is picking up your Bible, continue to read God's word, continue to stay obedient to the little things that he's asked you to do. That's like the number one question. What does God want me to do? I don't know what God wants me to do. What does God want for my life? What does he want me to do? What am I called to do? I don't know what my calling is. Guess what? If you know nothing else, you have a Bible that will give you very clear directive on what you should and should not be doing. It'll give you very clear directive on what you have been called to do. And I promise you that when you open that book and you start flipping through those pages and you start doing the little that God has asked you to do, those bigger pictures, your calling, your ministry, your family situation, all those things will start to come into place. But you got to be faithful in the little before God gives you great. All we need to do is be obedient in the little. I think sometimes that's where we get confused. We have a mindset of little is nothing. Oh, that's no big, that's just, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because a bunch of little things that you overlook in your life will add up to be a really big mess one day. And one day you're going to be like, God, but I don't know how I got here. And God's going to, like the highlight reel I was telling you about, God's going to give you a little highlight reel of how you got there. And it might look ugly. Because all those little things that we disobey God with, they come back. They come full circle. Despite what they said. Now when David stepped out of of where he was into where God called him to be. He wasn't really welcomed with open arms. We see in the 28th verse. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What are those few sheep you're where are those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. How many of you know that when you start getting closer to God, everyone around you will remind you where you came from? And they're going to start to mock you, and they're going to question your qualifications, and they're going to question your intent, and they're going to question your motives, and they're going to question what you're doing there, and then they're going to be like, oh, where's your little, where's your sheep? He didn't just say, where are your sheep? He said, where are your few sheep? Which to me, I feel was like an underlying little dig. Like, you don't even have a lot of sheep. You got a few sheep. Where are they? And that's, that's how our friends can get sometimes. That's how our family can get. Oh, you're going to go usher on Sunday morning. You're going to try to bring order to the house of God. You don't even have order in your house. Oh, you're going to go sing? That's nice. You're going to go worship God with the same mouth you used to cuss people out with? Come on, you've heard it, please. I, I mean, you've heard it. As soon as you start getting closer to God, people will start questioning you, trying to remind you of where you came from, trying to remind you of where you started. But you know what? God can't be mocked. God can't be mocked. You can try to mock me. I mean, I don't really care what anybody thinks, to be honest. But really, you're not mocking me. You're mocking God. Because I don't do this for myself. Like I said, I'm terrified. I do what God has told me to do. I'm obedient to the Spirit of God, and I believe that God honors that. And if you and you and you and all of us would be obedient to the Spirit of God, I wonder what that would look like. When God uses extraordinary people to do, ordinary people to do extraordinary things, people around them don't understand it. It's hard to understand how God can take your best friend, who used to be the one out of the club with you, out drinking, the first person to cuss somebody out, how God can take that person and now use them in his kingdom. It's hard to understand. But you know what? 
Do we know that God makes all things new? Do we know that we are new creations in Christ? Do you know that every time someone mocks you for what you're doing because of who you were, if you would just stay strong and you would just push through the ridicule and you would just continue seeking God, your testimony, the very thing they mocked, will be the very thing that turns them around for Christ because there are some things you just can't deny. And when you see the dirtiest of dirtiest of ugliest of horrible people in people's eyes, and then you see them turn it all around for God, you can't deny that. You can't deny that. So I want to encourage you this morning. You might be like David, where someone's trying to say, where are your few little sheep, huh? Don't listen. Keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward because you know what? His older brother probably ate his words a few verses forward. People have one standard. But thank God he has a whole nother set of standards. Thank God that you don't have to live by the standards that people put on you. Thank God that you are free to live a life with no lid, with no top, with no boundaries. People might put a boundary on you. You can break it off in the name of Jesus. People might put a label on you. You can rip it off in the name of Jesus. People might try to oppress you, but you can just bounce right out in the name of Jesus. Amen? You know, I have the most supportive parents ever. Like, ever. You might think you're the most supportive parent, but I will tell you, my parents are the most supportive parents. They probably support me more than I would support my kids. Just saying. They are fabulous. And ever since I was a kid, nothing, like, my, I don't remember my parents ever saying, like, no, you can't do that. Not in, like, a disciplinary way, but if I'm like, I want to be a teacher. They never said, like, no, you can't. Right before service, my dad's like, just remember, when you were a kid, you wanted to be a teacher. It's like the same thing. I'm like, Okay, I'm going to go throw up now. Um, my parents never said, no, no, you can't do that. That's too much. That'll be too hard. You're just not that qualified. Like, never. And even as an adult, I'm 26 years old. My parents are still that supportive. And a few months back, I just had a baby three months ago. And over the course of my first six weeks, the doctor says that you can't work out. But if you've had kids, you know that after you have a baby, the last thing you want to hear is that you can't work out. So I was like, I can't work out, but I can walk. So I will walk until my feet fall off because I will walk these pounds off. <laughs> so one day I'm like, I, don't, I think it was my sister that I might have been texting, but I'm like, I think I'm going to go drop my car off and at our parents' house and then I'm going to walk to the Stratford Beach. It's really, it's not that far. I don't think it's that far. And she's like, are you sure it's not that far? That's pretty far. And I'm like, I don't know. So I text my mom and I'm like, what do you think? You think the beach is that far? I mean, how far could it really be? And my mom's like, no, I mean, it can only be like a mile. Side note, back and forth was four and a half miles. It was not no mile, but it's okay, it's okay. So she says, no, I don't think it's that far. You can do it. And I'm like, okay, because I was thinking of taking Savannah and parking the car and going for a walk, et cetera, et cetera. So she's like, yeah, yeah, I would go. Just go, see what happens. Worst case, if you get tired and you can't make it, call me or call your dad. We'll come get you. And I'm like, thanks, Mom. But how many of you know that that is exactly the way God sees you? You might be set on a course, and you might have this feeling like, I need to pursue this. And everyone around you says, eh, that's a little far. That's a stretch. Are you sure you can do that? But your father says, go for it. Because even if you don't make it, I will come, and I will get you, and I will bring you the rest of the way. You know, it's... I'm very thankful and I'm so fortunate because I have amazing parents and because of their support my entire life, it's not difficult for me to trust God because I know that if my parents are this supportive, God must be like that 
times a bazillion. God must be like support on steroids. Like he must be amazing. So it's easy for me sometimes to venture out in things because I feel like if that's what my parents would do, imagine how much more God would do for me. But not everybody might have that relationship with their parent. Not everybody might have that support system. But it's okay because even if you don't, God is the God to the fatherless, and he will be there with you, and he will wipe your tears when no one else is around, and he will hold you when nobody else is there, and he will believe in you when everybody else says quit. He will be there. And I want to encourage you this morning. God is right there, and he's saying, come on, come on a little bit further. Go as far as you can get, and then I will take you the rest of the way. Listen, this is very important. You might think that the only way you'll ever be successful is if you do it like the next person. Because it worked for them, so it's got to work for you, right? Because it worked for her, so it's got to work for me, right? Value is lost in duplication. You don't believe me? Go to Canal Street, buy yourself a nice little coach bag, buy yourself a pair of Jordans, and then go to the mall and try to buy a pair of shoes with the same amount of money. There's a decrease in value when something is duplicated or replicated in a way that it wasn't intended to be replicated as. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You are perfectly handcrafted. You are a child of the most high God. You are a son. You are a daughter of the living God who created you in the darkness of your mother's womb. You are priceless. Don't you dare sell yourself short trying to replicate another person, losing your value. You are exactly what you need to be for exactly what you need to do. Amen? You know, David wasn't concerned with being like Saul. He realized that armor wasn't going to make him a warrior. Believing in the God of all the angels, of all of heaven and earth, that was what was going to make him powerful. Comfortable in his own skin, David walked out Sorry. David walked out onto that field and he didn't declare, oh, this is me, I'm David, I'm on the scene. No, he declared God's goodness. He declared who he was in Christ. You know, I try to keep this a secret, but I'm going to share it with you. I'm almost positive that I was supposed to be a ninja. Like, I'm almost certain of it. So if you know me and you spend time at my house, you know that I'm always flying around trying to do a spinning air kick or something ridiculous like that. And I'll like get up on the couch and be like, take that Ruben, douche. And I'm always trying to like fight him. I don't know why, it's just fun. So a few months ago, I took I had a couple classes at the title boxing gym. It was fun. But if you take someone who thinks they're a ninja and then teaches them how to kick, they come home acting like a ninja. I came home like, Ruben, watch this, watch this. Like, I learned this right hook, left cross, jab combo that will take you out. And he's like, okay, show me. So I would show him and I'd be like, look. And then he'd be like, you're really good. And I'm like, I know, I told you. I've been telling you. And now Ben, our trainer, he has just brought out the ninja in me and I am on fire. So weeks go by, 
And I'm like, I'm a ninja, and I'm fighting him and stuff. And then one day, Ruben stops, and he goes, Lori, yeah, you do know if you get attacked, they're not going to stand still and wait for you to do your one-two combo, right? <laughs> what do you mean? They're not going to stand there and wait for you to hit them. And I'm like, that's okay. Ben prepared us for this. He taught us this, like, duck and swerve thing. You can avoid a punch like that. I learned. I'm all over this, Ruben. Okay. If you say so. So, so the next time that Ninja Lori came out to play, Ruben starts like pushing me back and he's like this is what it's gonna be like this is what it's gonna be like and I'm like no 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 that's not what it's gonna be like stop it and he's like no this is what it's gonna be like and I'm like Ruben you're a hater because I'm a ninja and I could take you out and he's like no no honey you're confused and you're a little delusional so I just kept fighting him, and he kept going on, and I'm like, whatever, whatever, you're just a hater. But it was like, in that moment, I realized the likelihood of me getting attacked, which one is highly unlikely, but the likelihood of me defending myself as a ninja, not so good. And I realized that just because I took a couple of classes, and this was a hard revelation, just because I took a couple of kickboxing classes does not make me a martial artist person. It makes me someone who took a couple of kickboxing classes. Likewise, a Christian who just goes to a couple Bible studies might not be able to defend themselves. A Christian who reads a couple of Bible verses but doesn't constantly, like, don't get me wrong, I could be a ninja if I really wanted to, but two problems. One, I don't want it that bad. Two, I don't have time for all that. It's possible, but I'm not willing to put in the work. And it's possible for you to defeat the enemy with the word of God, but you gotta put in the work. You need to put in the work. You gotta stop acting like a couple Bible studies is gonna make you a superhero for Jesus. You need to put in the work when no one's watching because the reality is, is I spent two hours with Ben. I spent many more hours without him. And what I learned in that class was a little bit, it gave me a, a taste almost, but if I don't go home and practice, and if I don't go home and train, and if I don't go home and be about it, I'm gonna be just an imitation. I come to tell you today, it's time that we stop trying to fight the enemy without the weapon of God's choice for us. You're like, oh devil, I got you, and he's laughing at you. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you haven't picked up your Bibles in two weeks. Talk to me later. The devil is laughing at you as you continue to try to fight him without the preparation, without the planning, without putting in the work that you need to put in to be able to be the Christian that he calls you to be. I realized that day that I will definitely talk my attacker out of attacking me. I'm sure. I'm just, no, let's just talk about that. We're going to stop. Let's evaluate this situation. And I'm going to talk my way out of it before I beat my way out of it. But I want to ask you today, what are you trying to fight your way out of? And God is saying, no, no, honey, put down that weapon. It's time that you stand up in the armor that I gave you. It's time that you stand up in the armor that I've given you. It's time that you use the word of God and you begin to fight that enemy with the right weapons. Because what you're trying to do is getting you laughed at. The devil is a moving target, and in order to successfully defeat him, we're going to have to be proficient in the word of God. We're going to have to be ready, ready, ready to engage in battle. Amen? You know, there's probably some people here, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you're thinking, what can I do right now? What could I possibly be doing? I'm just sitting home taking care of kids all day. No, no, you are home laying the foundation of faith for your household. You might be thinking, 
I'm in this job where everybody is crazy and I am like the only person here that has a head on their shoulders. How many of you believe that? You, everybody believes they're the only normal person at work, I'm sure. Maybe you're here and you're unemployed. Maybe you're here and you're, you know, just trying to figure things out and you're wondering how could God ever use that? And God is saying, just wait, be obedient, just wait. And I promise, I promise you one thing that you will do so much more than your current situation. If you just allow me to work in you, if you just allow me to mold you, if you just allow me to use you where you are right now with what you have, God can do amazing things in your life. You know, David, when David wanted to go fight Goliath, he was like, I want to do this. I, could, I can do this. And they were like, um, no, no, you can't. And he was like, yes, I can. And in 1 Samuel, chapter, still in chapter 17, verse 32, he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from, my, from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from, the, from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and the club and club, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. You know, God has delivered some of you guys from some pretty ugly things. I'm sure. I can't be the only one. And sometimes we forget those things. And we forget what God has pulled us out of. And we look in the mirror and we like who we've become sometimes. But we've forgotten all that God has taken us out of. But like David, we need to remind ourselves when that battle comes, when it's time to engage in war with the enemy, that the same God that delivered you from that situation is the same God that will deliver you from this situation. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what you face, if you would remind yourself as David did and be like, oh, hold up, you think I can't do it. But the same God who rescued me then, he's going to rescue me now. You just watch. And David was a man of faith. And he wasn't worried about, you know, where he came from. And, and quite honestly, he went there to deliver something. His father, Jesse, sent him out to, this, to the battlefield as a delivery boy, basically. But when he heard what was going on, he said, who? does he think he is talking about my God like that and a righteous anger just rose up in him and he was like nope not on my watch you guys may sit around and listen to this you might sit around and hear him talking about our God and be okay with it but David was like no no that's not going down not on my watch I'm here now and the God who rescued me from everything else he's gonna rescue me from this Philistine when I go out to take that giant out amen you know one of my favorite parts of the whole scripture was after they go back and forth and David's like I'm gonna do this and Saul's like all right fine put this on and he tells him to put on his armor. And David, I could just imagine him like all little and scrawny, like, I can't, I can't walk in this. And he was uncomfortable and he says, I gotta, I gotta take these off. I'm not used to these things. And he took off the armor and he had his shepherd 
stick thing and a slingshot and he picks up five stones and puts it in a shepherd bag and he's like, and I'm out. And he goes. And like, it's my favorite part because I feel like you gotta have some faith, some serious faith to take off the armor, to take off the sword, to take off exactly what in this time you need for battle and say, ah, I got my slingshot. I got my five smooth stones. I'm good. But David's confidence wasn't in the armor that he wore. It was in the God that he served. It wasn't in the sword that they gave him. It was in the God of the angel armies who said that he delivered him once and he would do it again. David believed. I wonder what it would look like if we as Christians just took off the armor that we've been trying to waddle around in uncomfortably for too long, take off the armor of the person next to you. Take off that attitude that you need to be like the next person. Take it off and move forward in exactly what God has given you because David defeated the giant with what he had. Stay-at-home moms, your apron and your broom, that's what you got. That's what you're going to defeat the giant in your household with. Fathers who feel like you have barely anything to give and you, you want to be a good example for your kids, but you feel like, how can I be a good example for them if I, I'm barely a good example for myself? That's okay. Work with what you got and God will come through. Teenagers, every time you go to school and they're like, you got to wear these shoes and skinny jeans is the new thing that's in for teenage boys, which... I find weird, but that's here nor there. All these weird styles going on and haircuts and crazy. It's just crazy. But teenagers, you don't have to look like that. You can go to school looking like yourself. You can go to school looking exactly how God created you to be, and that is enough. Amen? Because he believed. Say that with me. Because he believed. We backtrack a few scriptures to the point where David declares that he'll kill Goliath. And this is what he says. In the 32, 32nd verse, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight for him. I'll go fight him. He said, I'll go fight him. I will go fight him. How many of you guys are just sitting around, you see the enemy working in your family, working in your home, working in your church, working in your neighborhoods, working, working, working. The enemy is on overtime, and we're just watching. And God's saying, when will they say that? I will go fight them. When will you rise up and say, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to go fight him. David says to the Philistine, you come at me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give your dead the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and that everyone assembled here will know that God rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David was fighting in the name of the Lord. David was fighting in the name of the Lord. Stop being a rebel without a cause. David was fighting in the name of the Lord. You want to run around, oh, I'm standing up for what I believe in. You better be fighting for the Lord or you are engaging in a war that you will never win. David was fighting for the Lord. He fought for the Lord and the Lord alone. He fought and he says, I'm going to do this and then everyone is going to know that God has rescued us, that God has redeemed us. He did it for God's glory and God's glory alone. He didn't do it to be seen. He didn't do it so we would remember his name. He didn't do it for his own glory. David beat that giant for God's glory. And God is saying if there would just be some Christians who would be willing to engage in battle, not for their own glory, but for my glory, if they would fight in the name of the Lord and not in their own name, I would show up and I would help them 
kill that stupid giant with one stone. David beat every odd when he beat Goliath. He knew how to work that slingshot and being true to what he knew made him successful. I wanna ask you today, what are you good at? What is your skill? What has God entrusted you with? It looks different for everybody. Some people are writers, some people are speakers, some people are teachers, some people clean really well. Some people are just really good at being, having a, showing hospitality. Some people are good at working on cars. Some people are good at cleaning cars. I don't know. I don't know what skill you've been given, but understand that whatever it is that you're good at, it's because God made you that way. It's because God created you that way. So take hold of whatever skill you have and go and use it to fight for the Lord. Go and use it to change the world around you. We have to be confident in our weaknesses and secure in our strength because our strength comes from the Lord. You might feel like, oh, I'm too fragile, I'm too weak, I can't do this. God's strength, it is made perfect in your weakness. So when you feel like you can't do it and you feel too weak to go and you feel like it's just over your head, that is when God's strength will be made perfect in your weakness. It's time that we stand up and we rise like a generation of Davids who are not concerned with where they came from, who aren't concerned with what they have and don't have, just focused on the Lord focused on God. You know, side note, this isn't on my notes, but I think it's important. Can I tell you what David was not concerned with? David was not concerned with what everybody else was doing. Not at one point does he say to his brothers, you've been here all this time, why didn't you kill the giant? Or, I'm so young, I'm so inexperienced, you're gonna leave this up to me? You guys are much older, much stronger. You're skilled in this. How are you going to leave me to do this? David wasn't concerned with what anybody else was doing. David was concerned in what he could do for the Lord. And sometimes we get so distracted thinking, well, why do I have to do this? I'm just a baby Christian. Why should I have to be the bigger person? Why should I have to stop and help clean? Why should I have to do this? Why should I have to do that? Always concerned with someone else, what someone else is or isn't doing. David defeated that giant because he was concerned with what God was doing. Not the person to the left, not the person to the right. He was concerned with what God was doing. I'll close with this. Do you know what today is besides Sunday? Anybody? Josh, first day of fall. Do you know when fall begins? Now, if you're like me, you would assume that fall would begin at the beginning of the day. So September 22nd, the whole day should be fall, I think, just saying. Or maybe at the end of this day. But fall actually begins at 4.44 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, I heard this on the news, and I'm like, that's weird. And I'm almost sure that this reporter person is off their rocker because that's weird. So I Googled it, and it was like, as I was Googling if fall really began at 4.44 p.m., it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, it is never an odd time to start a new season. It is never an odd time to start a new season. And I'll tell you what, shorts and t-shirts and tank tops, anything wrong with them? No. Fast forward to January, in a change of season, shorts and tank tops, anything wrong with them? Yes. What you did last season might not be wrong, but it's not gonna work this season. We're entering a new season. We're entering a season where Christians rise up confident in their weaknesses because they know through that weakness that God's strength is about to be made perfect. We're walking into a season where Christians rise up and stop worrying about where they're at and how they can get in position with God and they just be obedient to what God wants them to do.
We're entering a season where if the Christians would rise up and dare I say it, be like Christians, the enemy might have no choice but to turn and run and find another city to mess with because Bridgeport, Connecticut has a bunch of Christians ready to engage in war, ready to engage in battle, ready to go out there with our slingshots, whatever God has called us to use. We are going out there. We are ready. We are willing. And what worked last season, it's not going to work this season. It's not wrong, I'm not saying you did anything wrong, but it's time we take it to the next level. It's time that we rise up. It's time that we believe that God can take ordinary people like you, like me, people that don't have much to offer and take it and use it for extraordinary things. It is time that we stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in that big piece of armor and the sword that the world gives you and trust in the art, in the God of the angel armies who is ready and willing to stand by your side, take you through that battle and give you the victory, not for your glory, but for his glory. And to give you the victory, not because you're a rebel without a cause, but because you desire to see change around you. Because you know, you know that once people start seeing what God is doing, they can't deny him anymore. Talk is cheap talk is cheap stop talking about it be about it stop saying you're gonna do it do it stop posting about how god is great get out from your facebook closet and start living it out because i'll tell you what nobody cares what you have to say they want to see what you have to offer they want to see God move. People have heard way too many times, oh, God's going to do something great. It's almost become a cl cliche statement. But God says, I am great, and I will be great, whether you want me to be or not. But I'm asking you to come for the ride with me because it's time that you stand up and you do what God has called you to do so we can take the devil and we can say, out, be out. Bridgeport, Connecticut is no longer your stomping ground because we have a, a remnant of Christians who are ready to stand up and engage in battle. Amen? Amen? I want you to stand up right now. We got to understand something. God is the God of the impossible. He is huge. He is big. He is great. He is wonderful. There's no limit to him. There's nothing too big for God and he is saying will you let me use you will you let me use you you know pastor closed last week and he was talking about the miracle when Jesus turns water into wine how many of you remember that Jesus turns water into wine now amazing amazing miracle but what sometimes we overlook is that when they ran out of wine, his mother said, hey, we ran out of wine. And Jesus, his response was, that's not my problem. My time has not yet come. And then do you know what his mother said? She said to the servants, you do whatever he tells you to do. And then at that moment, they took these big six cylinders and they filled it with water. And that's when the wine, the water turned into wine. You might be sitting here like Jesus right now saying, why are you telling me this? That's not my problem. My time has not yet come. But just like his mother stood in the gap for him, I stand in the gap for you today. And I say, your time is now. Your time is now. There is no better time than the time of the present. There is no better. What are you waiting for? You waiting to be ready? I'm sure. You'll never be ready. God is ready, and that's what matters for most. God is ready, he is waiting, he is willing, and he's saying, call upon me right now. Call upon me right now, because right now, I am ready to arm you for battle. I am ready to take you into the streets, into your home, into your job, wherever you got to go. God is ready to take you and you are going to beat some giants for the glory of God. Amen. For the glory of God. Amen. You got to be sick. You got to be sick and tired of seeing the depression in our families, the anxiety, 
the confusion, the doubt, the worry, the financial struggles. You got to be tired of it. You got to be tired of it. Are you tired of it? Just like David said, he heard what Goliath was saying. He heard what Goliath was saying, and that was enough. You hear what the enemy's doing around you. That is enough to engage in battle. Amen. I want you guys to lift your hands right now. knowing who Christ is and maybe you came here this morning and you're thinking this sounds good it all sounds great but I don't know about this Christ that you talk about I don't know about this Jesus that you sing about I don't know about this Savior that you worship about but it's never too late to know him it is never too late to know the King I want to ask you right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer this morning, that you would have that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I just want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now as we make a commitment for Jesus this morning. Before we can know who we are in Christ, we've got to know Christ himself. Lift your hands high across the sanctuary if that's you right now. We're going to pray. We're going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to ask the church to just pray with us. Let's all pray this together. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I accept you right now as my personal Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Cleanse me right now. Make me whole once again. 
so that I might know you, so that I might know my identity in you. Jesus, I love you, and I accept you right now as my Savior. Come on, let's put our hands together right now. Let's put our hands together for Jesus, amen.